Pour parler d'agriculture et d'Europe à la jeunesse. Le climat-wandel erfasst immer weitere Teile der Welt. Farmers help us bring nature back and preserve biodiversity. Ceux qui sont dans le rouge s'en sortent quand ils font plus vert. La qualité dans ce pays, elle doit être là pour tous. In the world of European politics, there are few red-button issues triggering the activism of citizens, quite like the use of chemical pesticides. Over the years, the European Union has taken heed with a series of directives to gradually limit their use and so too their impact on human health and the environment. Most recently, this was the 2009 EU Directive on the Sustainable Use of Pesticides, with the principle of integrated pest management embedded in it. Integrated Pest Management, or IPM, is a system of targeted, ecologically smart pest control that uses a combination of natural biological agents already in the ecosystem that a pest is part of to fight it. Not, it needs to be noted, to eradicate the pest, but to control it to the point where crops are no longer under threat. That could be removing or reducing a pest's food source and mating potential, introducing greater biodiversity with hedges and woods planted near crop-producing fields, biopesticides based on microbial agents which infect and kill specific pests, or the release of predators or parasites on pests. In the past decade, scientists and agro-innovators have made huge strides in research into chemical pesticide alternatives, and now the European Commission has tabled a new binding proposal to cut pesticide use by 50% by 2030. Will it be enough to satisfy citizens campaigning for more radical steps? Is it too much for farmers long used to pesticides and under pressure to produce food in vast quantities? This episode of Food for Europe focuses on just these issues. And we start in lashing autumn rain at the Ferme du Pré, run by Christophe Joly, a short distance south of Brussels, and dedicated to regenerative farming. It's integrated pest management in action, thought through and minutely responsive. Welcome on our barn, which is roughly about 300 hectares. We have 150 hectares in organic practice, the 150 uh, remaining hectares in conventional practice. We have here a focus on regenerative agriculture and the idea is to be able to compare our practices on both sides and take the best practices out of both conventional and organic to have the best possible way to make our crops. Okay, sounds very interesting, Christophe, and different too. So we're heading here to um, uh, a field the idea is that biodiversity is not only in the fields, it has to be around the fields as well. So we have uh, trees, we have hedges, we have erosion margins, we have fauna margins for uh, small mammals, for insects, for birds, etc. And the idea is to have these trees uh, that can feed also uh, all the birds. You have biodiversity inside of fields with insects everywhere and uh, it's also beautiful for the landscape. But you also have um, other advantages, like you, you can actually lower the effect of the wind 
10 times the, the height of the trees inside of the fields. You also have lowering erosions uh, aspects. And how exactly do you protect biodiversity and control pests at the same time? The first thing to do is to uh, get uh, your, your crops in an environment that shelters biodiversity via hedges, trees, fauna margins, etc. So we already have all the beneficiary insects present on our farm, so we don't need to, to apply uh, insecticides on our field. Uh, second thing is we always spray based on observation. So if it's not needed, we don't do it. Uh, if the, the pest is unacceptable, then we will apply the product. So we have uh, plum trees, we have apple trees, we have pea trees, we have uh, small nut trees. Um, and this all together helps us to have biodiversity uh, that can be brought inside of the fields. But we also have the biodiversity inside of the, of the crops that, that, we, uh, that we sow. So here we have rapeseed uh, crop, but which is um, associated with um, clover and lentils. What is the idea here? Is the, that the clover and the lentils will bring nitrogen uh, for the rapeseed. Uh, we also have uh, more soil coverage. We still use chemical products, herbicides, but instead of using three, we're using only one. So all the practices that we put in place on the fields helps us as well to lower the pesticide pressure. So compared to conventional farming, how do you describe the advantages? How much pesticides are you taking out of your fields here? On average, we can lower the pest pressure by 30 to 50 percent. This is only about going on the field and spraying. We can also lower by 20, 30 percent uh, the amount of product that we apply on the field. So I would say that roughly we can avoid to spray around 50 percent of total amount of product. Christophe Jolie, many thanks for showing us around your farm. It was a pleasure to have you here on the, on the farm. So here I am in Brussels, walking through the Park Wolfendal on the outskirts of the city. And you may be wondering, what exactly am I doing in a city when what we're talking about is pesticides and the place for pesticides is the country? But it turns out that there are effects on our lives here in the city as a result of the use of chemical pesticides. And I'm joined now by Martin Dermine, who is executive director of the environmental NGO Pan Europe. Martin, many thanks indeed for joining us here on this wet, soggy day on the outskirts of Brussels. The question I would like to know, first of all, is maybe you could just give us a picture of what impact pesticides have on our lives here in urban areas. Right, so um, citizens are exposed to pesticides, be it in the countryside or in the city, through the food they eat, through the water they drink, also with the rain. Rain contains also tiny amounts of pesticides, they are everywhere. And also citizens will be impacted because the environmental impact of pesticides cannot be restricted to agricultural areas. When you destroy pollinators, insects and birds don't have anything to feed on, 
it also empties the insects from the cities. So, I mean, this is an interesting point for us to talk about um, advocacy and public involvement in the campaign against chemical pesticides. How important has it been and does it remain for citizen movements to become involved in legislative processes? Yes, I would say that the fact that citizens and NGOs have uh, raised awareness on the issue of pesticides has had a, a positive consequence in terms of legislative proposals from the European Commission. It's since the 90s when uh, the beekeepers sounded the alarm saying that their bees were dying because of neonicotinoids. And are you optimistic that uh, this regulation can succeed? For me, the solution is to establish a plan to phase out synthetic pesticides over 10 or 15 years to allow farmers to adapt. For me, this is the solution. And it is possible, it is scientifically proven that it is possible to feed Europe, that Europe keeps exporting food outside to th towards third countries with agroecology. It will take time. It's a matter of political will. Martin Dermin, many thanks indeed for your inputs there. You're welcome and I wish you a pesticide-free day. It's worth noting also on the back of that that there have been encouraging trends in recent years to protect human health and the environment, with about 22 active substances banned since December 2019 alone. For Andrew Owen Griffiths, an expert in the field of integrated pest management at the Directorate for Health and Food Safety, this idea of calibrated and reduced use of pesticides is crucial. We've heard quite a lot about integrated pest management. I think it's important to say we're not aiming to ban all pesticides. We're aiming to shift from higher risk chemicals to lower risk alternatives, which is following this principle of integrated pest management. You start off with prevention, and then if you need to make an intervention, you use the lower risk interventions, the biocontrol. And then if you then need to use pesticide, you only use them when there's a certain pest level reached. The driver really is the farm to fork strategy for a transition to more sustainable agriculture by 2030. And as because agriculture has a great impact on, on health and on the environment, the strategy sets a number of targets, one of which is to reduce pesticide use and risk by... 50% by 2030. Farmers frequently complain, Andrew, often with good reason, it seems, that they're not given enough time to make what are big, expensive changes. So what kind of support network are you proposing for them now? We're not asking for a change tomorrow. This is a transition towards 2030. So there is some time to bring into action a lot of other parallel actions that the Commission are making to speed up the bringing onto the market of alternatives, particularly these biocontrol agents, microbials and, and other substances, so that the farmer has an easier choice. We talk about member states developing crop-specific standards so that the farmer knows what choices they can make and what they should be looking at. Um, we talk about access to advisors and the need for advice on integrated pest management. We talk about record-keeping for integrated pest management. We're trying to provide a framework in which integrated pest management is enforceable, is implementable and is the norm. To help the farmers, the member states can use CAP funding, Common Agricultural Policy funding, for supporting farmers on the ground for a five-year period to help them to transition towards a change in agriculture. 
Partnering with specialists in pest management in the Netherlands, the European Commission has created IPM Decisions, a pest monitoring and management platform available online for farmers. Harm Brinks is project manager for the company that co-founded IPM Decisions with the Commission, Delphi. Now, the IPM Decisions platform is hosting decision support systems for integrated pest management. The ambition is that we have decision support systems from all over Europe on this platform. And all these systems can be used by any farmer or advisor across Europe. Could you give me an example of a pest that a crop farmer may face and what he could then harness through this system in order to monitor and manage the pest? Yes, I can. An example could be, what is relevant at this moment, is the... Uh, decision support system for the barley yellow dwarf virus. That is a virus that is uh, spread by aphids and the decision support system predicts when aphids are present in the field to spread the virus to other plants. So that's really an indication of how farmers should monitor their fields. But when do you start monitoring? Then the system helps to predict when the aphids become active in your field. And then you can go to your field and look if they are really there. And if they are there, you can uh, apply an insecticide. So prevent the, the aphids from uh, uh, spreading the virus uh, through the field. When you're talking about integrated pest management, uh, then uh, a decision support system is just a tool in your strategy for integrated pest management. So you should all, always first look at Prevention, when you can, for example, uh, use a resistant variety, that's, that's always better. But once you have your prevention taken, and then still you see that aphids are coming in the field and exceed a certain threshold, then you have to apply an insecticide. It would be nice when you have a biological insecticide available, but if not, then you can also apply a synthetic uh, insecticide. So it's really helping farmers not to spray more than strictly necessary and not spraying on a routine base but always take an informed decision. So when your field is at risk then take your, your measures. Change is the operative word here or as Christian Uyg likes to put it a paradigm shift. Christian, you're a scientist at the newly formed French National Research Institute for Agriculture, Food and the Environment in Montpellier. Welcome to Food for Europe. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be with you. Could you just paint for people who don't know that much about it a picture of the type of damage that chemical pesticides have done and the cumulative damage to humans and the environment? The pesticide is designed to kill. This is why it is side at the end. So you ensure the crop protection by killing the pests, the weeds, or the fungi. It has an effect, either direct or indirect, that some pesticides that are not clearly targeting the pest or the weed or, or the, the insect you want to control. A good example of that is the neonicotinoids. Uh, they had a, an impact on all insects because all insects uh, had exactly the same target that you are trying to regulate and to control. The second element is there are a series of pesticides still on the market that are either carcinogenic, mutagenic, or uh, reprotoxic. And in that case, you have a direct effect on, on human health. 
but there are plenty of indirect uh, effects or cocktail effect that we do not know very well. The level of danger is declining, but uh, there are elements on which we must be very, very uh, careful. So what are the natural alternatives and also are they practical and affordable for farmers to be able to switch to from synthetic pesticides? The key question for the crop protection is to go from a destruction of the pest towards a control. We have to look more and more the crop as an ecosystem hosting many other organisms. So moving out of pesticide is clearly requiring a paradigm shift. There are many, many options and many levers, and this is maybe the major weakness because there are many instead of one unique solution. You have the microorganisms such as uh, ladybirds that are going to put a pressure on the pests to keep the population very low. You have the microorganisms that are mainly fungi, and the fungi will control aphids, for instance. Then you have a, where you are going to regulate the population is mainly targeting insects by changing the landscape. So either these insects will go somewhere else or they will not mate. The last one is the natural substances. And these natural substances, sometimes they are biocides. All the techniques I mentioned have absolutely no impact on the yield potential. You may even, when you mix species, when you cross several species together, or when you think, for instance, relay cropping, you may increase the yield. Christian Uig, many thanks indeed for this. Thank you. It was my pleasure to be with you and I wish you a nice day. So as we wrap up this podcast on pesticides, we're back at Christophe Jolie's farm outside of Brussels. And I'm curious to know, Christophe, how bigger events outside of our control, for example, climate change, are affecting the low pesticide farming model that you're following. Also, is it realistic, do you think, to ask conventional farmers to significantly reduce their use of pesticides in the next seven or eight years? I think so, but you have to look at the, the system globally. You can't just uh, keep the, the same practices and lower the pesticides inputs by 50%. I don't think it's possible, but if you go in a regenerative way, conservation way, you will be able to reduce uh, the pesticide on the fields. It all sounds like a big change for farmers to adapt to. Does it involve a lot more work? On a holistic point of view, we try to be as lazy as possible. But if we need to uh, save our crop, we will do it by applying the right product at the right time and the right doses. What we want to do here actually is work with nature instead of trying to counter its effects. Actually, as farmers, we are on the front line of uh, the climate change. We see it really well because we, we live it while farming. We need to adapt our practices to preserve our soil and the environment around it. As a farmer, we have our farm, but it's also the landscape of the people. It's biodiversity for the people. It's common good, actually. And with those words from Christophe Jolie, we conclude this edition of Food for Europe. Our thanks to our other guests, Andrew Owen Griffiths from the European Commission's Directorate on Health and Food Safety, Martin Dermin, Executive Director of Pan Europe, Harm Brinks from Delphi, and Christian Uyg, Scientific Director of Agriculture at INRE, the new Institute for Agricultural Research in the south of France. Many thanks to you all, and also to you for tuning in to Food for Europe. You can download this podcast and all the others in our series via all the main podcast platforms. 
Until the next time, goodbye from me, Paul Anderson. Organic farming is steadily increasing. That's good. Pour parler d'agriculture et d'Europe à la jeunesse. Le climat-wandel erfasst immer weitere Teile der Welt. Farmers help us bring nature back and preserve biodiversity. Ceux qui sont dans le rouge s'en sortent quand ils font plus vert. La qualité dans ce pays, elle doit être là pour tous. 